before we get to today's show, I want to mention that this episode is brought to you by our partners at Edutech. Edutech is Australia's largest educational festival and returns to Melbourne on the 24th and 25th of August. With over 450 inspiring speakers, captivating keynotes, engaging workshops, enlightening panels, immersive breakout sessions, and 400 market leaders on the expo floor, this is an experience you won't want to miss. And yes, Ed Leaders will be there, so you can come by and say good day to us too. Register now with code EDLEADERS30 for an extra 30% off your ticket. Visit edutech.net.au for more details. Welcome to Ed Leaders, the podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership, strategy, culture, and the business of K-12 education, and where we believe with better leaders, we make better schools. I'm your host, Luke Callow, and joining me each week in the chair is my co-host and colleague, Matthew Irving. Before we get started, if you haven't already, you should sign up to the weekly email sent out by the team at Ed Leaders. Matt, you know the question's coming. What should someone expect if they sign up to the newsletter? Well, I may have momentarily forgotten that the question was coming. Uh, so, um, look, I think you're missing out. You've got to jump on. Uh, you've got to give it a read. There, um, no excuses. Um, when people say they don't have time to read, that's a lot of rubbish. You've got time to read this, um, and it will certainly uh, change your outlook on your leadership. I'm giving that a five out of ten there today, Matt. You can sign up for the newsletter at edleaders.com.au. Now, on to today's guest, Sarah Warby. Head of Professional Growth at Hills Grammar, an experienced English history and languages teacher with history of working in educational innovations focusing on whole school and faculty management and enhancement. Sarah is one of the headline speakers on the school leadership stream at this year's Edutech conference. And this is the first of five episodes in a partnership to promote the conference and to give you a bit more context and a bit more background to some of the headline speakers at the event. So without further ado, let's get to it. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, we love to start the show with a little bit about your journey, your personal professional journey and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, my journey is an interesting one because it wouldn't be what anyone would consider linear by any um, stretch. So, I've been very fortunate to work across all different uh, systems and schooling uh, areas in Australia and uh, internationally as well. And that's been very formative to my understanding of different school cultures and practices that really affect leaders and their leadership and also then the communities that they're working with. So, uh, working in independent systemic schools as well as faith-based schools of different backgrounds has been really interesting and formative to my experiences that uh, really impact a lot of my understandings and decision-making that happens today. And foundational to your experience, you've sort of talked about lots of diversity in your background. Mm. You know, what's the thing that you found that brings you most joy in the work that you do? It's really joyful to see staff members find uh, their feet in areas that they're particularly passionate about. I think one of the amazing things in education today is that it's not so much uh, a managerial space as it is such an innovative space. So, seeing staff members flourish in what they may be doing in technology, of course, or in what they're finding their passion in with student wellbeing or particular subject areas or subject matter specialities, as well as things that are really interesting and on the forefront 
of different uh, aspects of our work like um, neuropedagogy, which is an interesting space that we're starting to delve more into and sort of getting into that clinical teaching model. So I really love seeing teachers find what it is that they're passionate about in the diversity of experience. And I think diversity is probably a bit of a theme um, that I have uh, that allows them to really make a difference for students uh, in a way that is so authentic. Now, you talked there a little bit about passion. I love to kind of dive back into people's past. I see before you were a teacher that you worked at uh, various media outlets mm. um, and I'm kind of always interested in what, why, why the change? What made you, what, what were you doing at the time and what was the passion piece for you to move from that into education for you? Yeah, I think it's always interesting our backgrounds of uh, why we end up in the spaces we do because sometimes it comes from, ironically, at the start, not wanting to necessarily do what the people before us have done. So in my family, there are a lot of educators in different spaces, in different ways, which is quite interesting. And growing up, I thought I was never going to go into education. And so I went into media. So um, my... My mother, for example, she's um, actually an editorial cartoonist, also an art teacher, but there was that sort of media influence. So I went down that path and uh, went into advertising media journalism into that space. But it was really interesting in that time, uh, in the really early 2000s, we started to see that big shift to uh, digital media and things like that. And I just sort of realised that it was a space that was changing in such an interesting way, but I didn't feel that I fitted in that space anymore. And it was, for me, it was a really, it was actually a light bulb moment where I went, oh, what are, what are my skill sets? What am I really interested in, passionate in? And that sort of led me to take that writing and literature skill set that I'd built up in that space in my career uh, to then go into uh, English literature writing, which obviously led to then English teaching mainly in the first instance. So uh, that was interesting in that that background that I do have has actually been really formative and supportive to a lot of what I do in leadership roles now. And I really believe that I think a lot of that um, private industry experience has really helped and supported me to sort of go in some areas at at a bit of a quicker pace uh, into leadership roles uh, compared to my peers. A follow-up question to that then would Mm. be, do you think all teachers should spend some time out in the corporate world? I think it's very dependent on the individual. I think it's interesting that in a lot of early career teacher Uh, education programs now that there is a sort of shift in that model of the broad undergraduate degree uh, not necessarily going straight into diplomas of education and that's interesting and very dependent on the individual but I think now especially with what and where education is going having that broader skill set beyond just for example, a subject specialty, if you are looking into moving into what would be broader school leadership, having those skills from a different lens is really, really supportive. And I know personally for me, I wouldn't have uh, had some of the opportunities or had the skill set to do some of the things that I do if it wasn't for that corporate, private, 
outside of education experience. And Sarah, I'm going to go one step further with that, um, you know, because often we think about that notion that, you know, teachers are quite conditioned by the space mm. in which they oper- operate. And having that corporate experience, as you said, brings different lens, perspective and skills. Um, mm. I wonder what are some of those skills um, that you've been able to, to take away from, from working outside schools that you've sort of embedded in your own practice? A lot of it for me initially, I would say, is around skill set. So technologically and that ability to manage the sort of minor things, even down to like file management and things like that. I'm quite comfortable in setting up that for streamlining processes. And that's sort of one of the things that's been informative to my leadership and sort of the work that I've done in a lot of schools where it's been about rejuvenating and supporting certain uh, areas or teaching groups or faculties uh, to actually move forward. So the technological skill set has been really quite helpful uh, to taking a lot of those administrative burdens that a lot of people in education talk about and managing those and automating those in a lot of instances for teachers to be able to focus and flourish in if that's personally their first area of focus is their content area is working with students um, that's been very supportive. Were there some experiences in those early days of your first few teaching jobs um, that you kind of went oh I think I want to be a leader in a school? Not necessarily. I think it was a lot of moments of, oh, okay, this is something that is helping this collective group and it's allowing us to progress forward. It's never been a focus of mine to end up in certain leadership roles. It's kind of been a bit of serendipity. And I think from these diverse experiences, the role that I'm in now in this professional growth space has been a really nice um, landing point based on all of those different experiences. And I think it's just been a lot of, uh, I guess, aha moments as we've gone along that have then had this sort of influence and impact to support staff that has, yeah, I guess um, when I reflect on it, been a fortunate experience for why I really enjoy doing what I'm doing now. It's interesting. Sometimes leadership finds us, you know, rather than us mm. finding finding it, uh, which I think is really interesting. Um, I'd, I'd love to just sort of then delve into your own leadership style then. You know, if you were to reflect mm. on your best work as a leader, what does it look like? It's a lot about what in a team we are doing, not what I'm doing. So I've found uh, – the most functional teams and work that has come together in a beautiful way really has been through aligning and getting coherence on a vision and mission for a particular group. And then from there, actually using the diversity of experience within that team to build and have an impact for students. Ultimately, I think for myself, the key thing is always bringing it back to what the student needs and what we as a collective can do to enhance that experience for them because ultimately we're working with young people who are that impact on 
uh, the future of all of our careers and uh, industries and research and science and amazing areas. So it's really shifting the focus off the self and making it a, a collaborative experience and opportunity for others to reflect on and see what uh, can be done to really maximise that impact. One of the things I'm always interested in when it comes to teams, especially in schools, and Mm. Matt and I have talked about this a reasonable amount, is that notion of some teams you can construct yourself. Mm. You can build that team with the people that you want to have on the the team and on the bus. And, And often when you're doing that, it's much easier to strike that notion of the coherence of vision because you're probably handpicking the A players, um, you know, and, and sometimes you're picking the person who's going to pick holes in, in your in your plan and your vision as well. But sometimes in schools, the teams are who they are mm. and you're not getting to, to choose who those players are on the team. Um, and sometimes when that's the case, getting that coherence around the vision is much harder. Um, and I'm kind of wondering whether you can kind of, you know, describe some you know, some of the some of the tools you have in the tool bag around how when that's the case, you know, what are you what are you doing in that situation when when there's a few more challenging players around the table? Yeah, I think two key things is appreciation and resilience. With the diversity of teams I've worked with, it's been really interesting to yes, have that built, constructed homogenous team and then the culture and impact of walking into very established teams. In some of the schools I've worked in, uh, there's been a legacy of a uh, a group of people that are there. It's generational in that school, which I think is an interesting dynamic to consider moving forward in the world of education. Is it is it that it's a benefit to be that long-termer and allegiance to the school or is it to go a bit more corporate and see where you can cherry pick and move around and get experience? I think it's interesting. For me, myself, it really has been appreciation of those people that are there that keep you honest. Even in those teams that you do construct, you will always have the one person that questions you and makes you really consider. And if you don't have that and you don't appreciate that, are you being innovative? Are you being a critical thinker? I think that's really important to consider in leadership. Are you being reflective and critical in what impact you're making or are you just steaming ahead based on a hunch? Is that healthy? But With those teams that you walk into that have a culture and a history, it's really important to build that relationship and get to know and understand the reasons why for that culture and history and really have those open discussions about it and grapple and rumble with that because ultimately, especially in the different systems of schooling that we have in Australia, which is so amazing and so diverse but so challenging for a leader to move to one to the other, you've got to recognise that there's a style to that. Um, Professor Bev Rogers, who I work with at uh, Flinders University, I'm doing a Master's of Cognitive Psychology and Educational Research in that space, and leadership and management there and the focus that is being looked at is how do you appreciate, get into rumble with the cultures that are there to actually have uh, an appropriate impact? Rumble with culture. I love that. I'm so using mm. that. I love that notion. <laughs> um, and I guess as you, you're sort of reflecting there on, on creating, you know, teams, 
um, and that appreciative lens, resilience, being reflective and, and critical. Um, I'm curious as to, you know, that might be what you're sort of sort of constructing and sort of molding and shaping. But equally, I wonder, you're building the capacity of the people in that team to be leaders themselves. Um, so I mm. wonder what that that piece looks like for you. I think in the first instance for me, I've found my inroad for staff as being that skill set that I bring with using different resources, particularly technological, for enhancing and freeing up practice and creating uh, collective efficacy and that awareness of what is in front of us. So, different platforms, creating different um, sort of matrices and things like that. It seems quite mechanical and quite low level, but having people come on board and seeing in, for instance, a faculty or across in when I've worked as a leader of curriculum, actually seeing across a whole school using something as simple as a curriculum matrix where you're mapping all units of work and skill sets so people can come online and see what a leader's seeing from that whole macro picture and then rumble down and talk about that. I think that's always been a really good inroad and it's quite a simple thing to do but allows people to see that you've got that capacity and skill set that then leads to everyone looking from an objective lens at the cultural work that's in front of them. So it's sort of depersonalizing it in a way. And that's something that I've found quite useful um, and a way that people can see that you're able to support them in what they do rather than come in and seem like you're overlaying another perspective on top of already um, some challenging well-being. I think what's interesting there, you know, one of the things that I sort of talk about with leaders is that, you know, you're making the data the focal point. You're making the mm-hmm. what you're seeing the, the, the focal point. It's actually not the person. And it's through that mm-hmm. process that we're, you know, we're getting to the deep stuff. Um, you know, does that resonate? Definitely. Data analytics, I think that space is a very scary and a very exciting space because there's sort of an interesting, I guess, cultural challenge around that where people do sort of want to internalise and personalise a lot of what's happening in their schools and in their classrooms and things like that. And finding those ways to get them to step back in an objective lens Um is, yeah, definitely so supportive and teaching people how to read data. I think this is quite a provocative thing to say, but I feel that in education now, there's sort of almost generation wars between um, different career stages. um, And I think that's something that people really need to consider in leadership and in being in part of the team is that we're going to see more and more now people um, and team members and leaders who are coming at things from a very diverse, different sort of skill set to what it was from, let's say, the old chalk and talk era. I couldn't agree more. I know Matt would want to uh, dive into the uh, the generational wars that are that that maybe he's seen at times. But I, I want to go just back a little step to kind of that notion that you described around the open discussion around the culture and history. Um, that exists within a within a place or within a team, and I think that's a really interesting notion of how do you navigate an open discussion around, you know, coming in and seeing it the way you know. Let's let's describe it as 
um, the team that's all the head of departments in a school and, you know, you've got six out of eight of them that have been there for 15 plus years and mm. they are, you know, well entrenched in, in how the school runs. And opening the door to the conversation around, you know, why they act the way they do or why they uh, feel the way they do or, you know, h- how do you go about doing that in a, um, in a way that's not provocative and um, leads to, you know, a, a better outcome in the long run? Definitely a lot of priming from not just your executive leaders um, but also depending on the, the principal that you're working with, having those discussions as a focus for the school at different times. I think when leadership groups or executive leadership groups in schools are changing, there is a need to recognise that these conversations have to happen in the first place. I think if you're one coming in, that can be challenging. If you've got a few more changes in a a leadership dynamic um, at that end of your school, it's a little bit easier. So depending on that, it's either really making it a a very deliberate choice of are these best as one-to-one conversations uh, that are a lot about listening and a lot about time and you you have to go slow to go fast in these instances or is it a group that is ready to sort of rumble with new ideas and considerations of what has worked or not worked in that culture and that can be a collaborative group discussion and really using some of those dynamics and things that we see in the the business world where you can um, again objectify a lot of it and have one of those strengths weakness opportunity threats discussions where you're getting people getting it down on paper and actually allowing people to see what each other is feeling about what makes that team and that school and that culture strong where it might be falling down in those weaknesses and uh, sort of threats as well. So, it really is, it's not a one-size-fits-all sort of answer to that. It's considering with that group and with your principal building that relationship to really know what is a safe space moving forward to get people to feel comfortable about questioning what it is that has uh, led the group to being formed and uh, have that group think that it does. And Sarah, you're sort of starting to unpack some of the kind of areas that we need leaders to lean into, you know, being able to have those courageous conversations and, um, mm. you know, and I like that notion again, I'm going to say it, that, you know, rumbling with with ideas, et cetera. What do you think we, we also need to be focused on in, in what we're developing in our leaders? What are some of the other things that, Um, you know, is incumbent on us um, to start sort of shaping and influencing? As much as it's those sort of um, very tangible, I guess, um, hard skills of uh, technology to support and allow people to shift their focus from busyness to some deep work, it really is facilitating Uh, opportunities to consider the soft skills of building those relationships and and working with kindness and understanding particularly with like I say that the generational changes in teachers you you have young teachers coming through now who are more and more technological technologically capable and savvy and they 
have sort of an identity around that as being relatively digital um, natives and it's more so wanting them to understand and feel supported and have a relationship and a voice with those that come before them and are around them. So as much as that we need to be good at our job and good at the mechanics, sometimes that's the easiest part, but it really is knowing how to build and be aware of ourselves in our conversations with our staff to develop that that kindness and that willingness and not sort of getting stuck in the weeds too much. I think that's interesting about, you know, those the soft skills and, and relationships. And, you know, I'm also curious around, you know, I've sort of spoken about it with leaders before is how do you develop that insight for leaders that that is actually something they need to work on uh, when perhaps they're just not self-aware? A lot of grappling and a lot of rumbling and it and it's hard and it can hurt and I've been through it when it's it's that conversation really. Are you being – and I think it, it drills down to a, a simple thing of am I being task-focused or am I being people-focused? And have I got the nice Venn diagram of there being that, that um, beautiful space in the middle where it's uh, in a good balance or am I sitting in a space where I think, look, during the pandemic that was a perfect example of everyone had to be task focused to keep the wheels on the road and a lot of what we did was making these critical um, logistical decisions here and now to keep things rolling and at the expense at times of of people and that's why I feel like people have come back into uh, a more fluid uh, time now where they're just feeling burnt out because they've gone from being exceptionally task focused to now having to be task focused and people focused because there were so many good things that we learned during that time especially with hybrid learning but that sort of meant then that there's this sort of warped sense of um, yeah what are we focusing on if you love what we do here at Ed Leaders, then please support us by supporting our sponsors. And as you heard at the top of the show, today's sponsor is Edutech. Edutech is one giant festival for all of education, and this year is happening on the 24th and 25th of August at the Melbourne Convention Exhibition Centre. Not only will you hear from an amazing lineup of speakers, including today's guest, you'll also be able to meet us there. Yes, that's right. Ed Leaders is coming to Melbourne, and you'll be able to stop by and say good day in the exhibition hall featuring over 450 exhibitors where you can see some of the latest and greatest from the world of technology and innovation. Aside from seeing us there, you can learn from some of the best educators around the globe with learning streams for school leaders, teachers, ICT managers, and digital technology, just to name a few. There are also boundless opportunities to hang out, network, make new connections, and exchange ideas. If there is one conference this year to level up your leadership game, this is it. Register now with code EDLEADERS30, that's E-D-L-E-A-D-E-R-S 30, for 30% off your ticket. Visit edutech.net.au for details. And make sure you support us by stopping by and saying hello. Now let's get back to today's show. I guess I'm wondering, as leaders um, and, and in your role doing what you're doing, what should leaders be doing then to kind of, I guess, create more meaningful programs for staff? 
as they kind of go about their journey uh, in leadership and, and developing their own skills? With developing leadership programs, it's really important, I think, in the first instance to have that collaborative discussion and build that awareness of what capacity or skill set does the group already have that will empower and be something that you can harness to actually have a really effective leadership development program. So the programs that are developed at Hills Grammar are based on what is known about the leadership group because when I think when you think of um, education in the uh, adult space, uh, andragogy, which is my favourite tricky word to try and say, it's considering that you're working with people and learners that have a full filing cabinet and you're trying to add more into that add more things into that filing cabinet, which is not always that successful compared to the filing cabinet that you're working with, with teenagers and uh, even younger students where you can keep filling it up and it's okay and it's very malleable. The filing cabinet's probably made out of um, something very different to the the metal filing cabinets that we see (laughs) in a lot of schools. And using that knowledge base to then leverage off allows, uh, particularly in that adult learning space, people to discuss where they're coming from. And being able to do that will allow for a more effective leadership development uh, in the group that you're working with and sort of taking that as like a a three-year reflective plan to build on um, and working out at what point you're adding in new information as opposed to collaborating on what has come before is something that's a balance that needs to be struck. I love that notion. Filing cabinet's full, so how are we going to address it? Look, Sarah, we probably mm. should talk a little bit about uh, EduTech, um, mm. and you know that you know it's part of why we're here this morning. And um, love for you to sort of talk to the um, what are you actually presenting, and uh, what are the audience hearing when uh, they attend EduTech this year? Yeah, it's going to be um, a discussion around the balance between uh, mechanics and movement. I think is um, probably the best way I can clarify it. So, looking at how um, different aspects of our leadership development programs have been put together um, in a very functional way to then support our staff to to build build hope and optimism in what they want to then lead and transfer out with their staff. So it's looking at really, um, and the space that I'm particularly interested in, is what innovative technologies do we have that support us as leaders? So what aspects of resources such as the Google suite, resources such as the Microsoft suite, in those spaces and learning management systems in general, how is it that we can see and harness the planning at that level to then allow for the next steps just to be easy and fluid? And I think um, having that working well right back to for myself personally in my time uh, leading faculties, having those mechanics working well where there's, like I said earlier, those access points and everyone can look at the data and uh, filter in and look at resources to then go beyond that and consider for 
principals and executive staff, okay, once we've got that working, what is it that we can spark conversation and work-wise that will really help create that vibrant learning community and build that collective efficacy, which has ultimately been proven um, as having the highest impact on student outcomes. I think that's going to be a, a very interesting uh, topic to to attend when uh, when people get there. Mechanics and movement, and I think that's, I guess, a quite an interesting notion. Interested in that notion of when you just described the the, the spark of conversation um, that you're creating, and I guess over time how those conversations lead to, I guess, better outcomes for the individual leaders themselves, and and as a school leadership team, do, whether some of those those conversations lead to, you know, self-selecting further in to the organisation or self-selecting out of the organisation potentially um, for good reasons or bad um, and how as a leadership team you think about um, that notion of the conversations that lead to people, you know, growing and then leaving because they're going on to bigger and better things. And is that also seen, you know, as a really positive outcome? Definitely. In the context I'm um, in and for myself personally, it's always about similar to what we do with students. Ultimately, we don't want a student... um, going beyond their six years being in a particular institution because that's not the point of education. If we see that uh, what we're doing with staff is actually the opposite, that we're going to keep them in this institution and, and um, yes, it's great for that sense of belonging but stifling their growth, isn't that ironic? It's that kind of discussion you always have at a PD. Sometimes you have that discussion of, oh, hang on, are we doing the same thing that we tell teachers not to do with students, that we sit here and we talk at you for a few hours? It's knowing that people need that growth um, and opportunity to flourish. And I think that's of benefit to schools and leadership groups and students to actually have that diversity because ultimately we know that young people going out into the world now potentially are going to have um, between five and different, uh, five and seven different career um, paths and opportunities. So, why should that not be something that we celebrate and look at for schools to be a, a benefit that you have that diversity of experience coming in and um, people who can see where things have been successful or not been successful um, to help support looking at different programs, teaching and learning frameworks, wellbeing frameworks. Uh, it, it ultimately... Um, is an opportunity to save a lot of time in some respects when you've got people who've been exposed to different things. Um, So I think that, yeah, is an important dynamic to appreciate that movement that I think traditionally hasn't been a movement that a lot of people have either A, felt comfortable with or B, celebrated. And I think by nature of how the workforce has shifted now, people have a lot more choice and opportunity to move around and um, expose themselves to different roles and opportunities. So, why not um, succession plan within, but also see that you can give and develop people that 
can talk about from their experiences they've been formed to go out and help more students and help more schools. I think it comes back a little bit to the generational war that you mentioned earlier, potentially. <laughs> yes, no, interesting. It's Yeah, I think that's – I feel a little bit um, provocative in saying that because that's something <laughs> that I've, I've found has been um, – an interesting experience in in my career and something that I know personally, like as a learner, had to reflect hard and long on because, um, yeah, you want to forge forth with ideas that you know do work. But, um, Matt, as you mentioned, I think earlier, or Luke, I can't remember who said it, but it's getting people on the bus <laughs> is always, a, yeah, an interesting analogy. Yep. And in the right seats, that's always the trick. Um, mm. So, you know, getting back to, to that, the, the, the sort of collective efficacy piece that's, you know, kind of foundational to what you'll be speaking about at, at EduTech, um, mm. you know, inspiring hope and optimism, why is that more important now than ever? Creates that sense of belonging and purpose. And I think naturally teachers and educators have um, – this and it's in other industries as well, but there's this almost um, ingrained sense of of giving and purpose that that people have, and ensuring that our leaders and future leaders and leaders in the classroom have that optimism and hope and see where it's all going is essential for having quite. Um, powerful and functioning schools, I believe, because it's just so embedded in the psyche. And now that you've drawn the uh, the war lines uh, for the generations, <laughs> I'm wondering uh, what type of educator should be uh, in the audience at Edutech for you? All educators, all educators ready to rumble and have that discussion. Uh, it, it's also going to be a uh, opportunity to rumble. I, I'm not a, I'm not someone who's interested in it just being a, a one way presentation. I'll, I'm looking forward to uh, having people uh, respond back to some of the things that I'm saying. So it would be great to have people throwing those questions out there because if we're not having these discussions, we're just going along and um, there's almost like an underlying um sort of subconscious resentment that can happen. And I think in general you see in private industry there's a discussion about how Gen Z workers are, are the worst in history and things like that. And that's not having open discussions about things like that um, can sort of, yeah, just build those walls rather than going, well, hang on, why are we saying that? Why are you finding these particular team members hard to work with? Or for uh, Gen Z educators, why are they finding it particularly hard to work with uh, leaders or managers or colleagues that are boomers? Why, why are these things happening? And having those conversations and then looking at, well, what are we doing to actually bringing it back to harnessing those skill sets? What is it that everyone has to offer to then ultimately have impact for uh, students and teams and collaboration and that sense of belonging? I love that idea that, you know, the, your presentation is actually just the start of a conversation, you know, mm. that, you know, it's, you know, through some provocations, it's 
as well that that conversation will just sort of start and, and sort of snowball into something and it's just not a one-off uh, experience. Yeah, I think that's what has been an interesting thing for me career-wise as well. I'm always someone who's willing to grapple and rumble and I think if we don't do that, if we don't sort of um, – shake the pedestals we stand on a little bit we sort of get stuck up there and we become detached and um, it's been a very hard thing to do and it is a very hard thing to do uh, when you're wanting to rumble with these tough discussions with people if they do take it too personally and I think that's something that I always have to um, say up front is that none of this is personal none of this um is anything that's going to take away from the beauty of what people have established. But if we don't sort of uh, rumble with those uh, established thoughts and processes, well, are we actually being innovative? Are we looking at opportunities? Are we considering opportunities or are we becoming stale and irrelevant? Couldn't agree more. (laughs) (laughs) Shake the pedestal we stand on. Oh, I'm using that today. <laughs> Don't you worry about that, Sarah. That's great. Um, one of the things that we do love to ask uh, people like yourself is to get out in the crystal ball uh, and to uh, to have a think about what you think the future of of schooling or your school, what that might look like in the next, you know, ten year horizon, in a twenty year horizon. Um, any thoughts? It really is considering how different the pathways can be and recognising that there's beauty in the divergence of people that we have in our teams. I think in the past, ultimately, what was the focus is that very industrial model of we all walk down the line, we follow the process and we get it done. But when you look at history, it's those different types of people and different skill sets that make society what it is. So, building schools around recognising those different ways of being and knowing and histories and cultures is so important. And that's one of the things that's reflected in our school in particular. One of the things that has been developed is a passport for the future. So students aren't just recognised for their academic abilities. They're very much recognised for all of those things that they're doing outside of school. So those community groups they volunteer for, those uh co-curricular activities that they lead, those jobs that they have. And it's recognising that that's what builds people of the future and recognising that through technology, we've got the ability to be our own bosses one day. We've got now the opportunity for students and we're seeing students in our school reaching out and doing online courses and prep courses through lots of different universities and institutions and things like that. So, look, here's the question. Is it one day that um, students go to only one school or do they have access to multiple schools? You can do that in your tertiary studies. You can spend time. Myself, I went Um, to multiple different tertiary institutions to build what I wanted to create as my knowledge base as an educator. So why not um, and cannot students do that as well? And Sarah, one of the things you talked about at the top of the show uh, was uh, neuropedagogy, which I need to get my hands on because um, Mm. I love a good, um, another, you know, education word um, that I can drop into uh, a board presentation. Um, But you also talked about, um, you know, what you're studying 
and you know that sort of mm. cognitive psychology, etc. So, why is that important to you right now, um, and potentially the work that you will do going forward? As much as I love the big picture, I love the mechanics of things and really understanding the brain and how it functions and works uh, is why I have gone into cognitive psych and research and um, looking at leadership and things like that because I think it's interesting to know that people are motivated and they can be motivated, but the the science and the actual um, frameworks that you can establish behind that are absolutely fascinating and uh, really allow us to see how we can be making choices that have a better impact on ourselves and the people around us. When you've got that figured out, you have to make sure that you come back and have a conversation with Matt and I so that we can understand how our own brain works because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we don't understand uh, what we're doing why half the time. Um, but um, I'm just wondering if you've got any last words of wisdom uh, for the audience or potentially a question you'd like to throw over to us before we uh, get to uh, my favourite segment of the show, which is uh, six in 60 seconds. So any uh, closing thoughts? wisdom? I think it's so valuable listening to and having the discussions with so many different people to formulate what is the why and how for the leadership that you're doing. And I think what you are creating in these podcasts and that opportunity for people to listen, like essentially, like I was sort of saying, you've created the mechanics and the foundation for people to have access to these different ideas. Um, Have you guys been finding that those ideas are quite diverse or are you finding that there's something that's a consistency coming across the different leaders that you're listening to and working with? Good question, Matt. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I have to think about that. Um, I think what we're finding in our discussions is that every every story is unique, um, you know, and that's that's one of the beautiful things about education. That you know, everyone's sort of journey to education is not the same. I think when we first started, it was very, you know, people are called to education or they're not, um, you know, and and you know, the more we 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 have those stories, the more diverse they get, you know, just by the fact that we we were getting those numbers. And I, I also think that sort of collective notion of purpose um, has become very clear. You know, we are here for students, you know, and our decision-making and, and the lens in which we use, we have to continue to come back to the student and their voice and, and choice and ownership, and, you know, that concept of agency. And I think that's a theme that's been, you know, um, quite consistent um, throughout our sort of conversations. Um, and some of the more unique conversations where we're talking with people about who are out of education, who are kind of from the outside looking in. And, you know, and getting those different perspectives, um, I found absolutely fascinating because all I know is education. That's where I've spent all my life. Whereas Luke comes from a, you know, sort of corporate sector, very, very different. Um, so I found the, the the unique perspectives of outside looking in um, has been, you know, a theme that, that I've certainly valued a lot. And I think I'd add to that, um, that what we've found is that because of the nature of that we kind of go between school leaders and and those who are kind of connected to education, is you get to have some conversations with uh, lenses and people that most people would never, like most school leaders would not have that opportunity. You know, a recent one we did was with an architect. And so if you're in a day-to-day of a, of a school environment and you're, you know, a head of science, how many times do you get to sit down and listen to an architect talk about 
a journey of building a school building or, you know, those types of, so I think it, for me, it's kind of like bringing the diversity of experiences that you wouldn't necessarily think that you need or want as mm-hmm. an educator, but when you just add in a couple of ideas each week, um, you know, and even today and, you know, some of, you know, I know Matt's going to use some of your little analogies uh, for sure, just, you know, ideas to sit, you know, when you, you know, riding in the car and go, huh, you know, how can I sit and back and apply that in my context? Or I wonder how they did that when they were doing X, Y, Z in our school or, Mm. huh, I'd never thought about it from a head of middle school's point of view, what Mm. that must be like to be in between. So I think, you know, from, from that notion, um, you know, bringing the diversity of, of lenses and thoughts is super useful in schooling context so that you're not contained within the bubble of your day-to-day because it's so easy to get you know entrenched in you know the fires that you're putting out or Mm. you know the curriculum that you're trying to you know deliver or the students that you're kind of currently working with that you know opening your eyes to some of the other things that you know are are important in an education context is is useful I'm not sure that I answered your question. No, no, I love it. (laughs) Sorry, yes, yes, you did answer my question. And, uh, yeah, it aligns very much so with, yeah, how I see where education is going and what does the future educator look like. It's, yeah, harnessing a variety of skill sets and exposure um, to, yeah, appreciate and be resilient in a world that is so different. Absolutely. And changing. Well said. You should maybe host the podcast. Uh, (laughs) With that, we will get to my favourite segment uh, and Matt's least favourite segment, which is six in 60 seconds. One word or idea uh, is the rules. Now, of course, nobody listens to the rules, so break the rules as you see fit. Done. Um, One leadership narrative that's been underrated or overrated in the past decade. Overrated, I think, at the moment actually, is too much of a focus on AI and the fears and the nervousness around how that's going to affect things. Underrated is what we've been talking about, which is harnessing diversity for growth. The most underrated role in a school? Maintenance. The most interesting... Sorry, go. No, 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 you go. I was going to break a rule. Yeah, the it. maintenance team. Honestly, I would not be able to do half of what I've been able to do. And also, a little bit of therapy, walking down to the maintenance sheds after a really tough day, just talking to the the men and women there and just getting a real hard knock of reality sometimes is really nice. <laughs> when I'm talking about the troubles I've had in a day and they're talking about the challenges that they've had of fixing student bathrooms, there's a nice little smack of reality right there. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> like it. The most interesting PD you've ever done? The International Baccalaureate Educator Training. If you could change one rule or one thing in education, what would it be? That staff should have a certain amount of time at each school they're in. Oh, fixed mm. contracts for school lead, for school teachers. Yes. Yeah, that is something that is part of what you see in certain executive roles and things like that. But considering uh, sort of exchanges and things like that, a bit actually harnessing a bit more movement. 
I can't imagine that idea would get any uh, rumbles to uh, mm. occur in uh, in a staff room. Mm. <laughs> one book worth reading. Atomic Habits. And one person we should interview on the podcast. I suggest Karen Yeager, who's been my mental guide and inspiration. We'll have to get you to connect us. Well, uh, that brings an end to our show for today. I hope you've enjoyed our little chat with all things leadership with Sarah. Matt, closing comments. I know you've got them. Hit us. I can't read all my notes on my page because uh, I've just got scribbles everywhere. Um, but I just think that um, just reset um, on seeing the beauty and the divergence that exist in teams. Um, and if you can start from that point, um, you know, you can be appreciative. Uh, you can be resilient to get through some of the hard stuff. Um, and be, you know, be reflective on how we can do things better. So I love uh, that notion of team. I love rumbling with culture, taking the macro to the micro. Um, and I think programs that are based um, on the people in terms of their, you know, leadership and, and professional learning and understanding that knowledge base, um, you know, and not assuming what you think they need to know, but actually they know it already. So how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you understand that, you know, their filing cabinets are full? I love that. Um, sort of notion. So that was a really sort of reflective point for me uh, today. So thank you. Luke, what do you got? Well, you've taken all my good ones. <laughs> you do that every time, but there we go. Um, look, for me, um, you know, agree on, you know, like that appreciation factor, the appreciation of the teams that you have, the appreciation of the people in those teams, understanding the lenses and the backgrounds that they're bringing and ultimately trying to make the concept or the idea or the change or whatever you're working on better and allowing you to be critically reflective on on what you're suggesting as a leader. Um, I really like that notion that, you know, you called it, you know, the rumble with the team, but, you know, notionally that open discussion, particularly with those teams that have been um, around for a long time um, or are well um, structured in the school, being able to have an open discussion around why, why they have the role they have or, you know, what has it in the history that's led to this team being formed or, um, you know, I, I think that that's an interesting thing to think about, particularly for leaders going into new schools where there's norms existing um, and trying to come at it from a point of view, I'm just trying to understand. I'm just trying to, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to upset people necessarily. I'm just trying to understand the culture and the history here as to why it is the way it is. Um, and I think you kind of then made the, the point later, but you're kind of not, you're trying to say, don't take this personally. And it's a bit about playing the data, not the person um, mm-hmm. and being not afraid to ask that hard question when it comes to that. Um, so those were probably, I liked your analogies, of course, the the pedestals and, and the rumbling and the filing cabinet. Um, and, um, you know, I, I really look forward to kind of, uh, you know, seeing your presentation at Edutech. So um, thank you for giving up your time to be on the show today. Um, and for the audience out there who want to connect with you before Edutech, where's the p- best place they can do that and find you on the internet? Uh, LinkedIn is uh, the best space at this stage. I've got a few projects in the the background um, that will be uh, coming up 
just to sort of share some more things like I was sort of saying about platforms and whatnot. So that's a watch this space, uh, but at this stage, best through LinkedIn. I love a good side project. So I look Mm. forward to hearing more about that. (laughs) And of course, people can see you, I think, on the second day at this stage at Edutech. So get along, get along and see Sarah's presentation. Remember, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show and don't forget to share the love and tell a few of your colleagues or maybe the person responsible, hint, hint, for your professional growth, hint, hint, uh, that perhaps your staff should be listening to an episode of Ed Leaders, especially if you're the person responsible for their professional growth. As I mentioned at the top of the show, if you haven't already, you should sign up for the Ed Leaders newsletter. You are missing out. We publish every couple of weeks and it's jam-packed with nuggets. Matt gave it a terrific 5 out of 10 plug at the start of the show. Check out edleaders.com.au for more details. Thanks again to the sponsors of today's show and we'd be internally grateful if you could check out their website and support them as they support us to make this PD and professional learning free for you. You can connect with Ed Leaders and both of us on LinkedIn where we'll keep you up to date with all the latest. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week. Go well. Thanks, guys.